Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Time for VUC. In our 11th year, with us on our journey this year... Simwood.com. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Greenfield Tech. Go to greenfield.tech and see how they can make your tech dreams both feasible and affordable. Our conference bridge is the best you'll ever find at zipdx.com. VUC.me is hosted on Bluehost. And our worldwide local rate dial-ins are provided Fiveoxbone.com. Hey, speaking of the finest you'll ever find, we have a fine set of guests with us today, and you'll learn about that in just a second. This is VUC 670 for November 3rd, uh, whatever century this is, 2017, I think it is still, right? I'm still writing checks from 1950, so I don't know. Huh. Uh, so Dangerous Doorbells is not actually... That the doorbells are dangerous, but it's a play on words. Dangerous demos. By the way, where's James Bodie? He forgot that it was an hour earlier, didn't he? I pinged everybody. Anyway, let's uh, start by introducing the guests very quickly. And I'm going to go my left to right. So there's no, this isn't me. This is my screen. Okay. So we're going to start with Mr. Corrado Mela. Hello. Good morning, evening, afternoon, whatever you are. Right. Lovely Kathleen with her blonde hair on her green screen and her blue shirt. Hey, Kathleen. Hey, Kathleen. Hello. Thanks for joining us. And the not at all less lovely, Mr. Ken Rice is with us. Hey, Ken. Hey, Randy. How you guys doing today? Great. You look good, man. You really have to admire you. That's a terrific beard. You may not know that I had a full beard like that for years. Bright red, right? Because that was what yeah. color that my hair was. Mr. Michael Graves is co-producing and uh, does uh, 99% of the stuff. Certainly does 99% of the I don't do. And, of course, here I am in the botanical gardens. This is a new setting for me. Uh, but here, it's very cool. So we're going to be talking about, um, and we can get rid of this silliness now, and move over to a live feed, right? Oh, no, I need Cam Twist, sorry. But I need this to show you. Let's look at a quick demo because I have a ready to go, of um, what, one of the things we're going to be talking about, which is r the Ring doorbell that I just installed. Um, because I can, I have a wireless headset, I'm going to run over and get the old doorbell that, that this house came with and show it to you. Now, this is <clears throat> more of an intercom-type device, right? Of course, the, the window with... Let's get rid of the Chromecast. Well, I can't get rid of... Sorry, can't get rid of the Chromecast. For the no point is, you've got a keyboard. This is a keyboard, a keypad. There's a camera in it and so on. It runs on AC. It has a horrible, horrible screen upstairs connected to it. And I could not find an ounce of documentation. It's called a Challenger. I don't know. This is one of those things that was pretty confidentially sold, I guess. It was horrible. It also tries to do a bunch of things. Uh, when we talk about doorbells, you probably just want a doorbell. I mean, if it's got a camera, that's great. If it's got uh, an intercom, that's that's terrific. But this thing tries to have, it's got like, it, it's like they said, well, hey, there's a CPU on here. So let's 
put um, you know a media player and all kinds of crap, and it's old technology, so it's not like it's going to be any good. So we didn't appreciate it. Most importantly, when I start complaining about uh, Ring or whatever, most importantly, I could not hear this old doorbell because it was upstairs, two floors up. It cre- it plays a non-programmable. A digital chime, horrible digital sound of some kind. Hello, Mr. Bodie. Hello. Let's give us. Let's give him a very nice James. Oh, you're looking younger than ever. Thank you for joining hey, us. Competing Am I with, late? No, I, you're you're completing with Kathleen on the on the nice hair though. It's lovely. Okay. Yeah, I need to get the, the light and because uh, I've been in a bit of a rush. I, I have been through makeup. Oh yeah, you're a little. You need a little tint there. A little uh, little. Uh, Foundation. Anyway, back to, uh, and I will keep this silly chroma, chroma, whatever it's called, chroma key, just until I've played these videos. So we're going to take a look, quick look at the videos that I did. These are tests, and I'll have to play them both, and then I'll explain which is which. Is the audio coming through on that one? Yes. Okay, let's, we're going to try this again now. Uh, let me get this so I can play each one. Okay, so this which I think we just saw. Okay, wait a minute. Right, <laughs> as the British say. Clicking on, this is the desktop. Clicking on, activating the device, so it talks to the camera, and here we're seeing live feed, right? Quick, pretty quick. Now, if everything worked like that, that would be wonderful. It's not quite the case, and a lot of people have complained about this. And I'm going to ask Michael to give his experience in just a second, because he was on this when it was doorbod. Here we go. Before he speaks, though, here's the other little demo. This... As you can see, oh, and then it plays the other one. Sorry about that. Anyway, let's switch off of this this particular arrangement to get the real no lag video. There we go. And now you've got the actual real back. So um, what happens, though, is this thing is on Wi-Fi. There's some setup. There's some ways to look at how good the Wi-Fi is. Well, first of all, we had a problem because there's a lot of metal in this building. So I had to either move the fiber router, which is not a trivial thing to do, or get a repeater. So I got a repeater. Seems to work okay. Um, interestingly enough, and uh, this, would be, this would be good for the more tech people to comment on, when I ping the camera, it's, I guess it wakes up because the first ping is like a second and a half. Then it does a couple of several hundred milliseconds, and it, gets, it comes down slowly. And what happens is, since you see that on the ping, you're going to see the same kinds of problems when you actually, somebody rings the doorbell. So there's a latency and there's a problem of waking up the camera. Because if it was on all the time, it would have to be powered. This one happens to be on battery. Anyway, let's, let's back up and, and ask Michael to describe a little bit his impressions and what happened with DoorBot. And remember, you also mentioned you were hoping they would go with SIP and they didn't. Michael? Yeah, and so, um, hang on, I'm looking for something here, and I will hopefully find it, although I've just discovered something kind of my dismay. Um, so if we look over here, uh, let's see, here we go. Um, this is a page from my blog from uh, March 2014. So uh, this company called DoorBot uh, was kind of a Kickstarter, except they actually used a, pl- uh, a service called Christie Street, which they also created, and that was their original intention, was to create uh, a Kickstarter competitor. And it's run by Jamie Simonoff. Uh, he's the CEO. He's uh, formerly out of VoIP space, but too much into that for the moment. Um, the long and the short of it was they kickstarted this thing called the DoorBot, um, 
and I was one of the early backers and we waited like a year and change to get it. And when we got it, it never worked. And it never worked for fairly obvious reasons. Um, I, before it was delivered, I, I, I corresponded with them and I suggested very much that they do something standards compliant. And if they you know, used SIP at the core, then it would be sort of interoperable with a whole nother world. And I had this idea that my Polycom VBX phone might be able to do the client. But they decided to go with something that was an app-based cloud-type solution. And in the earliest days, it just didn't work very well. Now, I am told by people who I respect that the more recent version, which Randy has, solves many, if not all, of the problems uh, of the earliest version. Uh, and I hope that's the case. But um, I, I feel somewhat burned by the company, not because the product was faulty, but by the manner in which they dealt with me, which was just to hold their nose and hope I went away. Um, so there you go. Quick, <laughs> and, Michael. And what I just, what quick... I just learned this morning is that they have actually had YouTube take down the sample videos that I published uh, oh, back then. Interesting. Well, of course, wow. that, that was then and this is now. Um, but Michael, just, you know, and I'm with you. I feel you, as people say these days about the SIP thing. And everybody on this call knows about SIP and would like to have, we've all have SIP phones. But really, realistically, um, I mean, is it realistic to assume that there's enough people out there that actually already have SIP phones? Yes, in offices, fine. But in their target market, obviously, SIP was not really that attractive, I would say. In point of fact, you have to decide um, what kind of an infrastructure are you going to have, right? And and they chose uh, RTMP, which is RTMP is is a it's not a signaling protocol; it's just a media protocol. It's, and so they they chose to kind of roll their own signaling protocol, which was fine. And you know, other people have done it before. That um, they could have gone to XMPP. They they could have done a bunch of things. Um, I think they made some sort of poor engineering choices when they were a smaller company and, and you play to the strength of the hand that you have, right? So people sitting in the seats at that time thought they were doing the smartest thing and they didn't they didn't have a vision beyond a certain scope. However, I would say to you this, and, and you know, uh, our friends at VTech, they make video-capable doorbell things. Uh, there's Skybell. Since then, since Ring has come around, there are a half a dozen or more. Um, and there are even you know, cheap Chinese knockoffs now. However, I question the value of video at all. And because what we switched to was, um, was an Algo SIP door intercom, which is, um, was a little bit more expensive, but at the same time, it's been installed now for four years and it just works, right? And it, you know, when the UPS guy comes, um, he's essentially at an extension that hits some time of day logic that either calls my desk phone or my cell phone or a home phone. Um, I, I had, my problem was I was always missing shipment um, simply because I didn't know who was at the gate at the time because the doorbell would ring in the house, but not back here. And, and now it's like the gate intercom is just part of our on-site and even off-site communications. So, yeah. Two words. The, the, the fact, if, if you allow me, is that using a, a standard compliant device then you have a number, a plethora of other, <clears throat> sorry, other applications and devices that can, can pair and build an, an architecture exactly like Michael has. So it's interoper interoperability that allows you to expand and extend and get the logic like uh, Michael has that can follow the, the, the call from the doorbell, wherever you are, because it's just an extension. Michael, well, like, two uh, words. I, I, Michael, two words. Amazon lock. No, key. Is it, is it key? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> and, and my, you know, plus I think that 
while I love my mobile phone and I do a lot of things with it, it's not the center of the universe. And something that is 100% completely tied to a mobile application is not an answer to all things. Um, so I think being open to extended integration um, was kind of important. But also, I, I mean, I, I, you were commenting earlier this week, it doesn't fall back to voice only when bandwidth constrained. That seems to me a problem. It is. I think it is a problem. Uh, we, we have untested it extensively because I think that this, the doorbell song can be heard next door and I don't want to drive them nuts. If I knew she was going to be gone for a week or something, we'd be screwing around a little bit more. But the point is, I, I don't know exactly because I haven't like rung the doorbell 50 times and had my wife help me and have intercoms. The intercom part wasn't important to us. The video isn't that important either. All I needed to do really was hear the doorbell. So Corrado would tell me, and he'd be right, just install a bloody chime yeah, in your well, office. Well, exactly. <laughs> Why the hell do you go to all the expense of putting in a ring then? It's totally useless. Yeah, because under your a... influence, you guys. Uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, go we're ahead, Corrado. We're over-engineering as always. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> no, because right. I used to do things on a shoestring. Uh, what happens that I... I usually cobble up something and I simply bought two wireless doorbells because I needed one upstairs and one downstairs, but you can pair them with dip switches that are inside. And I have two doorbells that are uh, linked and uh, connected and paired with just one button and on the front door and both ring at the same time, one upstairs and one downstairs. Dip switches. Cool. There's a blast. Last well, last century. Practically where, fail, where, fail safe, though, James. Yeah, where, but where did you get these things from, Wait, Corrado? And before I mean, you say that, Corrado, before you say where oh. you got them, give us a very quick schematic for those who care about these things. So what are we talking about, voltage? You're talking about replacing your ordinary doorbell that had like an 18-volt signal or what exactly? Yes, it's everything is wireless. There's a little battery in the transmitter at the door, and the other uh, devices are just plug in and pass through in uh, uh, net in the power sockets. Uh, so the okay. power to the power okay, socket, but, and then you the, press the, 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 the button, and a wireless signal goes to the, the, uh, the doorbells. Okay, the wireless signal, two things. What is it? Is there voltage, or is it battery-operated, the button? Battery-operated. Okay, yeah. battery. It lasts for six months, a year, or something like that. It's just a button. Four, four years has been there. I haven't changed the battery yet. Thanks. We'll be over to rob you in about 20 minutes. Um, and the other question was, you say wireless, that's all well and good. It could, that could be anything. What, what exactly is it going over? Wi-Fi? Uh, no, no, no. It's property, prob probably a proprietary protocol, but ah. it's on the 2.4 gigahertz band. Proprietary, but Mr. Standards. Is, is it definitely <laughs> on the 2.4 gig band or 433 license-free? Uh. Uh, probably I, 433, I would expect. Probably probably even lower, yeah, because we're, we're talking about something that I bought uh, five, six years ago uh, in one of the usual stores for household uh, things, not to name uh, and do Well, this battle, it probably probably be on shortwave, young man, shortwave. <laughs> probably it, even that. And it probably sent a code in, in Morse code or something like that. Well, too. I think when Radio 4... You know, long wave go, comes on, the doorbell doesn't ring anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, honestly, didn't fail ever, didn't have a problem. Low-level technology for low-level applications. A doorbell is a really low-level application. That's yeah. A, no, yeah, I, I, in principle, I totally agree with you. Kathleen, I've been dying to ask you, and I didn't send this in the email, whether you actually, you where you live, have a what so-called high-tech doorbell or any kind of cameras or anything like that. Are you doing any of those things? Um, we do have security cameras, but we kind of have 
a more traditional option of dogs. <laughs> so uh, easy to put the door. That's do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why our eight phone. We have a we have a fenced yard to keep the delivery people from being eaten by the dogs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we uh we have big w- uh, windows in the front that they uh, look down because uh, it's up a floor. They can look down on the driveway and the front door and see who's there. So. Um, but no, we do have security cameras, but we don't have any sort of uh, doorbell kind of setup. Um, okay. So maybe maybe I'll make one. So what do you what do you interface your security cameras in? Do you make use of the video feed? to trigger other bits and pieces. For example, do you do motion detect, which then turns on the lights, for example? Um, no, we haven't really gotten that advanced with it. Mostly we just have the security cameras that record up to a certain period of time so that we can go back and look, you know, if something happens, we can kind of review the tapes. Um, but that's an interesting idea. Maybe, well, because the way it's set up, that would be really easy to do. Yeah. Start doing the lights. And this is the modern way of doing things is hooking things up together so that one one device then cues another one and then you put together combinations of things happening that then make other things happen. Uh, you have complexity though. Motion detection can backfire big time with yes, this can. have up right now that, that points at a si- a sidewalk, right? And so the preponderance of the image there we would need motion detection, but only in the lower 30% of, of the display because we want to know when the delivery guy is at the gate, but we don't want to know when everybody walks past from the convenience store you know, right. a block and a half. Okay. By the way, yeah. Halloween stuff. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Ken, let's hear about what you guys are doing. You're out in the boonies too, aren't you, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. I'm, uh, I live fairly far out. So. You are fairly far out, man, yeah. so that's that, appropriate. We use a, a tiered dog's Automatic weapon, yeah, possibly, but uh, yeah, so but as far as uh, cameras, uh, plastic compatible because I'm in the few times I've, that probably shouldn't be, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I'm so far out that we have uh, from the tree line, you know, during the day, the security can I think our biggest when it comes to all is they're all cloud. If you have a something island, island, very, very week before last, well, right, literally all you really starting how dependent on the internet because something as simple as a fire TV, yeah, you couldn't get it to work. So I couldn't monitor my security tape to fire to the laptop. Uh, it didn't work. It didn't know where the cameras were. <laughs> I think you, I think really uh, there's a there's a great argument for keeping things simple. We have Andy Abramson on uh, ZipDX and Michael. Uh, if you can see him, I think he said he had uh, eighteen hundred or sixteen hundred was the last four of his. But he can hit star six. Andy, if you are you with us, Andy? And Ken, by the way, your audio is a little low. If you could boost it, please. Yeah. There we go. Andy, you are open now. Hello, everybody. Hello from the back of a lift in the west coast of Florida. So, how are you? A little iffy, actually. A little a iffy? Okay. Well, a lot iffy. That's <laughs> actually kind of ham radio uh, over. <laughs> Hang on. Let me just do something. I'll get off that. Better. <laughs> yeah, pull off the freeway. With the... <laughs> no. Sure. Anyway. All right. and... So, you guys are talking about all this remote remote stuff like doorbells. and I, I don't have a remote doorbell because getting into my building requires getting past security guards and having access keys to get upstairs. And it's very high security, a la James Bodie style. Uh, we have everything except the guy with a gun. But once once I want to get to my my apartment, I just simply touch a button on my phone and I can unlock my door because I've got an automated, I've got one of these high-tech door locks. And then also as I get close to my apartment house, lights turn on inside using a combination of 
by location tracking on my phone and IFTTT and the Wemo switches that I have salted throughout the apartment, which turns in so I'm never walking into total darkness, which I think is kind of cool. And it turns off when I go so far away from the building in case I forget to turn the lights off when I leave. Andy, what is your take on, because it's related and we were joking about it earlier, I was anyway, uh, Amazon Key? I, I think that the whole thing, whether it's Amazon Key or whether it's going to be the Google Nest product or whether it's the Ring product, these things are all still very early stage beta. They're using, you know, they're, a lot of them are designed on chipsets that are, you know, a year old or more. Don't forget, hardware takes a long time. Software is, you know, is eating everything. And most of these chips are not really upgradable. Flash ROM upgradable takes a long time to do that. Uh, I to me, whether it's Amazon or Jamie's Ring or the Next product, these are all very primitive compared to where they'll be in, say, 18 to 24 months as more of the chipsets that come out are designed for IoT-type situations versus being used in IoT situations. I was referring to Amazon Key. I'm talking about the thing where you give them access to your place. I guess in an apartment, maybe that doesn't count, you know, for... Oh. It does, it, they, they can't. They have a hard time getting in. The idea of the Amazon key system being able to fill my refrigerator up is great. My housekeeper has a time arrival when she has to come in and clean the house. She can arrive at a certain time and she has to leave by a certain time, which is certainly more, more hours than it takes to clean the apartment. The Amazon key system, the, the biggest challenge Amazon key has in adoption is they've had a very bad experience overall with Amazon Fresh in the sense of unreliable deliveries, no pickups for the the boxes, they've actually changed to a different box. So they have to prove to longtime customers like me. And I was in the fresh beta in San Diego County, and it was phenomenal. But I got up to L.A., and it's been a disaster because they let the post office deliver the product. Now they're trying to figure out their own logistics. Yep. So, again, do you want to pay to be a beta tester, or do you want to have a reliable service? They need to figure it out before they roll it out internationally or nationwide. Right. Andy, I know that you have about one minute left. I was just going to ask you, and I think you just answered it. Um, the key thing depends on using their own delivery service. They will not use UPS or anything else, any outside service. So it's only available in certain cities. Um, and you, you basically answered that question. This, this was delivered by um, subcontract, right? UPS, you said even the post office did it. Right. And it, well, it, so, it's, so Amazon Fresh started out with Amazon delivery people driving rental vans that they were getting from Enterprise with Amazon stickers on it. It then migrated to um, a combination of post office and other services. And that was where it broke down. They're now starting to realize that they need their own end-to-end -end delivery service. Right. And, but right now, when it comes to Amazon Fresh and Amazon Prime deliveries, in, at least in the Los Angeles area, it's a combination of Amazon, the post office, and a third-party service, including Lyft or Uber drivers. So it's kind of a hodgepodge, and they have to figure that out because they need a consistent delivery model so you know what to expect as the consumer. Again, we don't get paid to beta test, or we don't pay to beta test, and that's what's going on. Okay. You said you had a call. This is the time for your call, so we're going to let you go. Thanks, Andy. All right. And by the way, um, we'll be talking to Andy and the folks from Dialpad on November 17th. Oops. Oh, no. Oh, bollocks. I'm not sure. All right, James, you want to show us home, some kind of home automation stuff, and you got so excited that you 
had two audios on. Is this what we yeah. should be looking at? So excited. Yeah, that's what we're looking at. Um, Talk just... to us, but get that echo killed, please. There we go. How's that? Yes, excellent. Um, yeah, what, what I was going to say is uh, you've got to remember that these days, every component that you get really is going to interact with a, another component somewhere else. Um, and the, the smart people... Right Still down. a little bit of echo. And somewhere else meaning the cloud or somewhere else meaning in your house? Because I don't like well, the going outside part. Well, indeed. And Ken's point about what happens when the uh, when the internet goes down is yep. hugely valid. Absolutely. So one of the things that I've been looking at is this, this open source project called Home Assistant. In fact, home-assistant.io. Uh, it's an open source project, and you can run this this code on anything you've got lying around. And, and incredibly popular are um, it, Raspberry Pis because they're cheap and reasonably powerful. And the great thing about that is they don't consume a huge amount of power, and you can um, and, and they're independent from the internet, so you, they just keep on going um, if the internet goes down. And I just thought I'd share with you this list of all the things that you can interface into Home Assistant. If you see anything that particularly interests you, say stop, and we'll go in and have a look at it. Well, wait, let's but, say, let's say I just saw Apple TV or something like that go by way up at well, the Well, Apple TV is a bit kind of... Uh, so what... Have a look at Apple TV. So uh, this allows you to c- control the Apple TV third and fourth generation. And just thinking about uh, Ken's uh, scenario there where... He could be watching the TV, watching broadcast or streaming TV, and then somebody comes to his property. Um, what he would really want to do then is then change the channel on his TV. So instead of looking at the streaming, he's looking at, at his camera feed. No, he wants he pro- picture in picture that he can then click on to his Yes, yeah, well, <laughs> well, he wants to be alerted. Let's yeah. put it that way. You know, because because Comcast users, I think um, um, Michael may be one of them, um, there used to be this thing when you got a phone call where the caller ID came up on the bottom, right? Yeah, and that's actually um, a hack from oh, 12, 15 years ago for TiVo when TiVo um, called its schedule information via a, a, a modem and a phone line. Uh, it would monitor that phone line for incoming caller ID and, and display that on your TV, which is it was a nice little thing. Anyway, um, back, back to your idea, James. Yes. From, uh, from the other uh, interesting and very significant components in here, Matrix is one of those. I mean, if you can interface your home assistant into Matrix, then you can use the power of Matrix to throw notifications and control signals wherever you, wherever you want. How is the average person going to address this whole situation because what you say james is all fine well and good for you um i've been in this stuff for years and yet i find myself lost in the power of matrix or if this then that or which i know michael well, you know, well the answer that is the average person with, with the whole thing being packaged mm-hmm. um in such a way that a, a mere mortal can can handle it but what we're seeing in things like uh, this home assistant thing is a glimpse of the future. What is coming? Um, and so, okay, today it might be a bit geeky and you might have to play around a bit. But actually, in the last six, six months, all of this home assistant stuff has become incredibly easy. So we're talking about um, one single command on a command line will install 
all of these bits and pieces with defaults. Oh, look, there's your ring. A note. What can you do with ring? Well, you can ring the ring. Then you've got the ring binary. Why would I want to ring ring the ring from Intor? Well, there are different types of signaling. Let me, let me address this to Ken, uh, who may know the answer. If you don't, Ken, uh, not a problem. Someone else maybe can address it. But how many different systems are there for interfacing this stuff? In other words, when people, let's just take a simple case of light bulbs, right? So when you first started, uh, I've heard the name Digby. I've heard the name Phillips, right? Or maybe that's the same thing. I don't know. How many Zigbee, different? Not Digby. What did I say? Well, you well, said that... Digby. I'm sorry. Digsby, is that what you said? No, Zigby. Oh, Zigby. <laughs> With a, as Dig you would say, a Z. <laughs> Sorry. Ken, yeah, go I mean, ahead. We, there's, there's several of them out there. And, um, I mean, it looks like Z-Wave or Zigbee, uh, uh, Zigbee is kind of leading the pack now. But uh, in years past, I mean, there were things like Insteon and, uh, you know, uh, everybody had their own proprietary protocol. Or either that, they used X10. And X10 is kind of crappy. It's not very extensible. And it uh, largely relied on power line communication. So you could have, uh, you know, here in the States where we have two-phase power, you, the devices on one phase that don't communicate all that well with the other, phase, that kind of thing. So with, with Zigbee and uh, Insteon, they kind of, uh, they really address that by going to like a more mesh technology. So you can, uh, you don't have to worry about, I'm on the right phase, so they'll, they'll fall back to wire uh, in the 2.4 game. So, I mean, it's a standard, both of those are standards and it's open, but, a lot of the problems come back to um, user experience and or the software that works with one doesn't necessarily work with the other. So you fall back to using things like uh, if the, uh, you know, if this, then that, or, uh, or you end up having to write your own code for it. And I think the biggest deal is for you know, really wide adoption is getting the prices down to where it's affordable because companies like Crestron and you know, various other companies like that, have some really cool stuff, but it's really expensive for, uh, you know, quote unquote, smart home technology. And mm-hmm. then you come back and we can find things like Home Assist. But as uh, JB pointed out, you still have to go to the command line. The average consumer is not going to. Yeah, that's true today, but that's going to change. Yeah. argument, though. And I, I would argue to you that, that if this, then that is a reason why it's not true today and, and yeah. also an impediment mm-hmm. to change. If this yeah, then that is is a is a cobbled together mechanism that doesn't it does sort of very very simple things adequately but not well because of latencies involved. Yeah, but and, it's a first generation and, and first generation will it's been around will, for a decade <laughs> and it's not getting will, any better. Get better. Why we have things like Unomi? Unomi uh, is actually a better approach. And when people get it right, you end up with things like these supercomputers that you carry around in your pocket. Right, but then you see the other uh, other way things that are going with walled gardens not being open open technology. So you have these two diametrically opposed, uh, you know, me- uh, methods going forward. So how do you justify, or shall we say, integrate all those things without having to do really silly stuff to the screen scrape or you know process what the user that stuff does? Yeah, like you, stuff. you know what? I think all of this stuff is going to come. And on the subject of coming, I note that Mister Dan. Dan Jenkins is with us. I wanted to ask a quick question to Corrado. It looks like we don't have any video, Dan. I don't know if that's on purpose or not. Corrado, you and I have been talking about mesh networks and ubiquity and with James as well. And in fact, everybody's been talking. They've been driving me nuts with ubiquity. But the point is, (laughs) suppose you did 
start with a good system. So you've got Wi-Fi. Okay, we see you, Dan, with you in a second. Um, So you've got your beautiful mesh network running in your house, your palatial home. You know, every room's covered by Wi-Fi. Isn't there kind of an argument if you don't have cabled everywhere? There's a pretty good argument, actually, for everybody, everything running on that network, isn't there? Uh, yes. Uh, caveat, the Wi-Fi is not probably the best um, network to run your IoT devices on for uh, a number of security hmm. problems and also for latency. Uh, because and Also for packaging as well, because it's difficult yeah. to make a very low pad device that operates on uh, Wi-Fi with any kind of battery life. I thought a lot yeah, of them exactly. did, actually. All right, anyway, Dan, I uh, think you were burning with uh, desire to <laughs> join us on this. Tell us about your installation and your thoughts. Uh, yeah, so I uh, luckily, I just did a talk about all of this uh, at Full Stack Toronto two weeks ago. Um, so I gave a talk about Home Assistant. And so when James brought that up, I was like, oh, this... this... Oh, need to get on. Um so yeah, my, my, my home automation stuff is mostly based off of Z-Wave um, as well as everything else within my home. So my, one of my slides in my talk um, says who lives in a smart home um, and I think probably like 10 people put up their hands. And then the next slide says, I don't. Um, even though I've got all of these smart devices in my home, um, I I don't really class my home as a smart home because I still go and turn a light switch on. Um, I, when I enter a room and it's dark, I put the light on. And when I leave the room, I turn the light off. Um, and that's not really very smart, is it? So why? 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 Why what? Why do you do that? Why? What? Why do I? Why do I put the light on so I can see? Um, but, but why do you do it? Why do you do it mechanically with a switch? Oh right, yeah. So. It, it, because I because Z-Wave um, light switches, for example, um, cost fifty pounds, um, and so if there is say fifteen light switches in my house, that's really 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 expensive to go change them all. Um, I I could, so I, the lights. Hmm? Right. So is that a smart? That's a smart light bulb, isn't it? Rather than a smart switch. Well, we have a couple of things here, and, and we've sort of made a false start. But one could say that home automation has been nothing but a collection of false starts for 25 years. Um, <laughs> we had some X10, which we used for a long time. We tried a little bit of Z-Wave. And in some of the very early VECs or VUCs, we actually had an outfit from Canada. I can't remember their name, but they made a little – it looked like a little embedded asterisk router, asterisk right. router, but actually a uh, – uh, home automation controller um that is a philips hue light bulb you're right uh it's a black and white it's a a monocolor light bulb it's not a colored light bulb um but we have started in the past switching to the lutron lights because we do have things like a chandelier over the dining room table and we have things like kitchen lights where smart light bulbs don't make economic sense right uh, in many cases but a smart light switch can Right. So Giz- Gizmodo tweeted the other day um, how um, the the right way to do smart lighting is to replace a lot uh, to replace the switch rather than the light, and and this was now finally possible. Um, and I tweeted, I quoted it and said, "Well, no, you've been able to do this for a very very long time. Just people weren't doing it. Um, it, it. Lights need to 
well and anything within your house really needs to be um some people would say wife friendly let's say human friendly um where you expect there's a light switch on the wall and you expect when you go and put the light switch on that the lights are going to come on it doesn't matter that there's an app on my phone that i can turn those lights on um or off um but i still need to be able to go and touch a thing on the wall and and turn that light on my wi-fi is broken for example i still need to go and turn that light on and that's that's why light smart light bulbs don't work um but yeah home uh, home assistant is brilliant because i've got ikea smart lights i've got hue smart lights i've got z-wave devices i've got z-wave sensors and um and one of them is calling you right now <laughs> yeah um and i've got ubiquiti cameras and i've got ubiquiti wi-fi network and so i know when someone is at home um because it's connected to my wi-fi and so i can do automations like instead of playing the radio um in the morning no matter whether or not there's anyone home i can play the radio if i'm connected to the network um in my room using my google home using an internet stream rather my wife doesn't like um my wife doesn't like the radio station that i play so why does it need to go off when i'm not in the house and i'm traveling um it, we can do amazing things and that's why home assistant is amazing um getting back onto why i wanted to join um james was saying how oh this is like this is the future and it will be consumer um soon enough i completely and utterly disagree um because oh. well no so home assistant is amazing and i love home assistant because it allows me to take all these things from different vendors and make things happen take an action from one thing and then cause an action on another and it doesn't matter whether or not that one thing was a z-wave device or or a wi-fi device joining my network on my ubiquiti controller or whatever it all just kind of works and that's great it's open source um a great example of open source and home assistant the ikea lights just um the the gateways got updated to enable um alexa and apple devices to turn ikea lights on and off and it broke everything um and there's already a fix in home assistant to make everything still work um but this is a great example of open source is amazing home assistant is amazing tools like asterisk are amazing but there's a reason why none of these things get kind of used by consumers and it's because it's they're, they're too complicated to set up from a consumer point of view and that's why consumers typical consumers will end up getting into a silo um they'll buy a nest doorbell because they're coming out next year um and then they'll buy some nest cameras and then they'll buy a nest thermostat or they might really have a nest thermostat and they'll get into this ecosystem of nest or they won't do that and they'll end up with 20 different apps for 20 different things across 20 different platforms um and it will be a nightmare home assistant and tools like that are great for people that that can go and make things awesome home assistant is still quite difficult to to kind of get to where you want it to be um but but it will never be a consumer thing um a, a consumer thing would be hiring me to come into your house and automate everything using home assistant but it wouldn't be a case of I'm going to go out and buy a device that has home assistant on it and I'm going to go and join all these things together I just you know, well, I, yeah Dan I don't 
don't agree with you there. You know, there was there were experts back in the 60s who said, you know what, any requirement for more than whoa, six computers in, in Great Britain, um, we, we just don't need them. And then look look at it today. We all carry around like I they're said, all silos. They're all silos. Like so you picked up you, you picked up your Apple phone. Um, it might be a computer. I'll pick up my my Android phone. Yeah. So. But they're all silos. Like you're not gonna you, you make a phone call between them because there's a standard between them. Um, and, and and if I can, James is not your normal consumer either. Most normal consumers don't walk around with thirty eight SIM cards in their pocket. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hopeful uh, a hopeful twist on this, and and I actually think that um, I think that Z Wave Alliance and uh, ULE and and Zigbee and all these guys um, they're they're like herding cats, and that hasn't worked very well. But I am hopeful that larger powers, higher powers, in the form of Google and Amazon will probably um, help guide this into uh, a, it, there might be, let's, let's call them bigger silos, not that there'll be sort of broad interoperability, but you know, our, our Amazon echoes control the Philips hub and they control the Lutron hub and they control a bunch of things and they work well. A, a, an avid amateur can put together a fairly sophisticated system without requiring Crestron certification. Right. Uh, Certification is like you know learning Wireshark. That's not something that your average granny is going to do. Um, so I think things like um, things like the Echo will will probably push this in this direction, even if they you know end up being listening devices. For the I, know, I, I completely agree there. Um, like so, the the Amazon Key is a Zigbee device. Um, the IKEA light bulbs that have recently come out, um, they're all based on Zigbee. Um, and theoretically, once IKEA, apparently IKEA are going to release a, an update to their light bulbs where you're not going to need a IKEA gateway. You'll be able to hook them up to a Philips um, Hue gateway instead. Um, so, so and the latest Echoes have a gateway of sorts built into them, and there's this trend <laughs> towards having a multifunction gateway, which is more like what that uh, what's called Vera used to be. Um, Right, not so we, we, we there. Like you can go into Home Assistant, and, and not Home Assistant. You can go into Google Assistant on your mobile phone, and there's a there's a list of fifty um, different providers that Google Assistant can all can integrate with. That all requires the internet, and that's a bad thing anyway. Um, but when it comes to home automation, um, I I really don't want my home being automated from the internet. But um, no, you make a good point. Um, I, I don't think we're we're ever going to get to the point of of easily being able to have, say, the level of complexity that you can have in Home Assistant, for example, where you can have lots of different things happening and then causing lots of different things to happen at certain times based on certain conditions. Um, but in terms of just joining A thing to B thing using an Echo or or Google Assistant, that's absolutely happening. Um, and that's really? What we really need is the the localized logic engine, and and perhaps that's the, the project that you're talking about. We don't have it yet. Our our local installation is is internet dependent, um, which is a bit sad, but it's sort of a fact of life right now. Um, and only things like Crestron, where you're spending a bunch of money to have a server type solution locally resident, uh, are are. Yeah, I can't, I can't harp on about uh, Home Assistant or um, there's there's a couple of other ones. Um, it, 
quite a, there's, I think there's like eight eight different open source ones, and and I ended up choosing Home Assistant. And I can't harp on about it enough. Um, for the example, great thing about it, 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 it is that you don't get silo, um, yes. so you can have your proprietary stuff, but you can use that alongside other proprietary stuff, and in particular some very very cheap and cheerful um, hardware like the. The one that this guy is playing with, he's, a five, he's got a five-dollar uh, relay there, which you can use to turn on uh, lights and whatever you want. And the, the, point, the point you made, Dan, uh, is, is hugely valid. Perhaps you ought to be uh, switching on and off um, ordinary lights rather than paying, I don't know, thirty dollars for a light bulb. It's a or fifty for a switch. And what ha- what sorry, happened? Sorry to bang on this, but what is wrong with PIR? sensors that turn on the lights when you get into the room and get out there are light bulbs that have the pair sensors inside it and they cost a fiver that's that's good for some fiver they cost about a dollar no that's that's only good for certain certainly excellent for hallways and stuff i wish we had one i wanted to mention something to an example because since we just moved in so we're in a house that has a on the upper floor it has a an invertible or whatever it's called um a heat exchanger, so it it's, has the only heat for that room. Then there's a heater. There are four, three other types of heaters. They're all, the house is all electric. My point, though, is I finally found a manual on the Internet for one of the heaters and got it set up correctly. Because, you know, obviously, think about this. Every electric heater has the same function. It's going to have... You know, turn it on and it's on. It's going to have a thermostat. It may have a programmable hourly thing, right? So how is it possible that on these four different units from two different manufacturers, I can learn one and figure it out, and then I move on to the next one and I'm completely lost? And the the answer is interface, and there's no standard for that. So on one, you push these two buttons, plus totally, uh, totally, um, I can't think of the word now, not natural. In non-ergonomic, non-ergonomic, but not um, I want to say intuitive, in and unintuitive, completely unintuitive. So when you're reading a manual and it says, for example, you're on the temperature and it says to raise the temperature, press the plus key to lower it. Okay, we're not idiots. Anyone knows that, right? Of course, in in between parentheses, let me add that there's a heater that has red for on, green for off. There's another one that has green. If it's blinking green, there's a terrible fault, and you need to call the service. Blinking green for call service to me, all right. But anyway, well, this is this is why you, you need some open source controller in there, which you can then change the user interface, and you can make it whatever you want, whatever. In more modern stuff, yeah, these are just electric heaters that cost maybe 150 bucks or pounds or something. But but the main that, that, that makes me remember, sorry, just to I, I always used to um, I always used to laugh at people that had connected um, dishwashers or connected um, washing machines or ovens. Or ovens, yeah. I always used to laugh at people that did it. But now that I am heavily getting into home automation using Home Assistant. I can't think of anything better than when my solar panels on my roof are generating more electricity than I'm using to turn on my tumble dryer. I can't think of anything better than doing that. But I can't do that without taking my tumble dryer apart now. Let's say you're like, um, let's say you're like um, Brian in in uh, in Oklahoma, 
right? And Brian's got solar panels that he just installed on his house, right? So so he doesn't have any local storage. He's just inverting. and, and But also, he's not um, you know this from his Facebook feed. He's he's not getting paid for uh, his contribution to the grid. He's just offsetting his own use, right? But he's also got an electric motorcycle and an electric car. What you really want to do is, at the peak of the day, if the motorcycle's sitting in the garage, make sure that puppy's charged while you're getting maximum amperes. Uh, there's actually, I was just watching a bit. There's another product um, that is ideal for Brian that I might actually send um, for for that, um, and it's kind of standalone and it just kind of works. In the UK, it's a little bit different. We actually do get paid for our generation into the grid. And it doesn't matter whether or not I'm actually putting anything into the grid, I still get paid for it. Um, so if, if the, the best thing for me is to, to use all of the electricity that I'm generating um, because I get paid for it, and whether or not it goes back into the grid or not, um, because that's just how it works. Um, using, yeah, using something like Home Assistant to, to do that for me would be ideal. Um, and this is a left turn for which I apologize, but are you familiar with this app? You have, I've seen this. Yes. You can have different. Um, yeah. 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 This is a brilliant, this is the best four bucks I've ever spent on an app. <laughs> and and uh, we used it this week to do this, um, which was a, uh, an 85 pound pumpkin with one Philips hue color changing bulb inside of it. And uh, you can't really see, the light activity at this particular instance, but we had about 700 kids come through our yard on Tuesday. So, but then the really good fun thing would be to then interface that into something and it takes a kid coming down down your drive, and then it flickers, and then you have a bit of sound. At the lots of things all going on at the same time, all queued up by your property. Now, here's the thing about that. In theory, you're right, but and the but is a big one. Um, it, it becomes something where there's a tremendous amount of effort involved, both on the part of software developers and also on the part of people who are staging the thing. And um, and then you realize that you have a con- when you have 700 kids over three hours, it's a torrent. There's it never stops, right? So you have to design for that circumstance. But this guy, the guy who wrote this app and gets, I, I don't know whether Phillips actually paid him for it, but I bet you he has sold more of those color changing light bulbs, which were the very expensive ones, than all of the interior designers in North America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very true. These days, software does sell the hardware. Yeah. And, uh, and in fact, you, if you don't have good software, you don't sell the hardware. It's as simple as that. You can't sell hardware unless you've got something that works really well with it. Now, we, we were foolish and we bought I bought a handful of the colored light bulbs because uh, last year. Uh, I didn't know any better. Uh, we, we, we still have them, but we have since started buying only the white light bulbs because there's just no point in having the, the $50 light bulb when the $15 light bulb will get the job done the rest of the year. Yeah, That's a good point to say that we've been going for about an hour and uh, we could maybe look for some conclusions. Has anybody got anything to say that they haven't already said? Uh, I think one Why thing that we discussed, you, yeah. sorry, sorry, James, uh, uh, is use, reusing old hardware to do small uh, local applications like using old as I did uh, mobile phones to do CCTV uh, recording on an SD card and when and if the Wi-Fi or the connection is on, uploading whatever happens uh, on whatever cloud storage you have uh, with motion detection and just powered through a USB hub. So it's constantly powered, but even the power, if the power goes off, there's a battery inside. So uh, an unused mobile phone, probably old generation, 
uh, reused into something through software again. That's an application, and that's done. That's a very good point. Rather than recycling them, unless you know someone who needs the phone, uh, reuse them. I have a couple of phones here, and I do not use them for that reason, but I use them for other things, and uh, they, they can be very handy. After all, yeah. the initial Nexus 5, I have one that still works just fine. It actually could be a phone. I mean, it is a phone. Uh, and uh, they work very well. Well, I'm talking about the first gen, the very first one. It st- really still works well. Anything else, anybody? Well, yeah, uh, just another point. Say. Sorry, James. Just, uh, just another yeah, one well, application. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, the, I have an old phablet, an old 7-inch uh, mobile phone from one of the few that were made that I'm using now as, in, as a media center uh, connected to my stereo. So music, videos, I can watch them, and it's stuck on the wall in my office. Uh, if someone is sitting there waiting for something, they can w- watch TV or, or anything else. Well, not live TV, but movies and stuff, and it's a distraction for the kids if they ever are in the office. And that was laying around doing nothing. Again, reusing is probably more environmentally friendly. Absolutely. That's the only thing my Nexus 7 is good for. Barely good for looking at uh, media, if you can wait for the media player. Anybody, anything else? Conclusions? Yeah, my, my bit. Yeah, my conclusion is, you know, these days you need to think big. So, Randy, you're thinking of doorbell and interfacing that into whatever's happening into the house. I'm thinking about something a bit bigger, which is I'm going to have the ultimate um, home uh, add-on, which is my own mobile network, 13 kilometers up and down the valley. So I'm going to be able to do things like um, say to my ex uh, thingy, what's Amazon Echo, uh, tell me when John is on the road, and it'll give me the two-minute warning. Yeah, I know you don't. Shush. Um, so I can then whoa. go out on the road and say, whoa, I've got something for you. Um, uh, it's just so much better. Yeah, tell me when the post is coming down the road, because That's so rather than going to the letterbox, I can give him my letters to put in his sack. And he's happy about that, because he doesn't have to then get them out of the letterbox. It's a real pain. Uh-oh. What do you think? Well, that's kind of what uh, this whole, you know, I was talking to somebody before the doorbell business started here about detecting when the mailman or the mail person, actually it's a woman now. Well, I do that already. I've got a Bluetooth. And so when he comes past, uh, my Bluetooth, um, which incidentally uses a little one pound Bluetooth dongle thing from Poundless, when he comes by, um, I know when he's been past because I, I see his Bluetooth. Well, the point is that on the doorbell, since it has a little recording, we get the motion detector. I can turn it on. I can see that the person has delivered mail. So that actually is probably the most useful thing it does. Anyway, thanks to everybody. Uh, we will be back next week. We have absolutely no idea what we're doing, but then that's generally the case, isn't it? So November 17th, I remind you, dial pad. Very interesting. More interesting than I expected, dial pad, because it's a, There's a lot enterprise. To it yeah, it, there is a lot to it, but oh. not... Not going to add, it's not going to interest the average individual, but if you have a company, be sure to tune in for that. Till then. No codecs were harmed in the production of the VUC, brought to you by IP Communications Community. With our thanks to Simwood, Greenfield Tech, ZipDX, Bluehost, and Voxmo. See you next week. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.